I wore a pair of pants yesterday to a wedding that I had not worn in a while. To my horror, they were a little tight. <laughs> I was trying to figure out how did this happen. And <laughs> I could think of the numerous amounts of desserts I've had since the last time I've worn those pair of pants. And so do you think that I dropped, stopped off Goodwill and dropped the pants off? No, because like you, I put them in the closet thinking, I've got hope. <laughs> I've got a hope. Sometimes we feel like Martin Luther, I have a dream. <laughs> One day I'll be able to wear all the pants that are in my drawer. You know, it... It ranges, if you were to look, I've got four inches of range between size 30 to 34, and, and I, I just go back and forth. But you know, it's funny how we do that, isn't it? We, we do not want to get, give these away, because there's something within us that tells us that if we do that, then we're never going back. We're never going back. Well, I want to share with you about hope, but it's not wishful thinking. Sometimes we use the word hope, and what we really mean is wishful thinking. The Bible does not use the word hope like that. It is based on some ability. If I was saying that I was going to hope to wear those pants again, it is based on uh, my determination, my seriousness, my discipline. It is, it is all based on those. And so sometimes it could really be hope. Sometimes it could be just wishful thinking. And it just depends on what it's based on. You'll find that if there is uh, any endeavor in which you really want to be serious and you want to communicate your seriousness, it will involve a price. For example, if you were to ask uh, a lady or a, uh, if a man was to ask a lady to marry them, usually the custom is before you go and buy a ring. And so with the question is normally a presentation of a ring to show I'm not just thinking absent thoughts. I put my thoughts into this, my mind. In fact, I put my money into this. And here's the question. When we were buying a house a few years ago, I'd never done that before. And I was uh, just amazed to realize that if you were really to make an offer, it had to be accompanied with money, earnest money. I was like, really, you know? A couple of thousand dollars just to just to make the offer to let folks know that you're not just wasting their time, that you're serious. What I want to share with you today is Abraham's down payment, his deposit on a promise, his down payment on a promise. And uh, we're going to look at chapter 23. It's just it's a real short passage, and you would read this and think, well, what's the deal? There's two verses that talk about the death of his beloved Sarah, his wife, of over 60, it, it, we know at least 62 years, very likely more like 100 years. Wife of 100 years. Uh, two verses describing her death, and then 18 verses describing the purchase of a burial plot. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? You know, you think, well, shouldn't that be the other way around? 18 verses about his beloved wife's death and two verses about where they buried her. But it's not. It's the opposite. And there's a reason behind that. And we've got to know the reason. And that's what I hope to bring out to you as well as to help you understand what that means for you in your life today. 
And so, if you will stand as we read this together, Genesis chapter 23, verse 1 through 20, as well, I'm going to include that which I did not do last time, chapter 22, verse 20. We will not read that. That was enough to read it last week. Um, if you didn't, weren't here, just read it, read it yourself, and you can understand why I'm not reading it again. Uh, chapter 23, verse 1 through 20. And Sarah was 120 and 7 years old. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died in Kerjath Arbia, the same as Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abram came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham stood up from before his dead and spake unto the sons of Heth, saying, I'm a stranger and a sojourner with you. Give me a possession of a burying place with you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And the children of Heth answered Abraham, saying unto him, Hear us, my Lord, thou art a mighty prince among us, and the choice of our sepulchres bury thy dead. None of us shall withhold from thee his sepulchre, but thou mayst bury thy dead. Abraham stood up and bowed himself to the people of the land, even to the children of Heth, and he communed with them, saying, If it be your mind that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me to Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he hath, which is in the end of his field, for as much money as it worth, he shall give it to me for possession of a burying place amongst you. Ephron dwelt among the children of Heth, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the audience of the children of Heth, even of all that went in at the gate of his city, saying, Nay, my lord, hear me. The field give I thee, and the cave that is therein I give it to thee. In the presence of the sons of my people give it I thee, bury thy dead. And Abraham bowed down himself before the people of the land, and he spoke unto Ephraim and the audience of the people of the land, saying, But if thou wilt give it, I pray thee, hear me, I will give thee money for the field. Take it of me, and I will bury my dead there. Ephraim answered Abraham, saying unto him, My lord, hearken unto me. The land is worth four hundred shekels of silver. What is that betwixt me and you? Bury therefore thy dead. Abraham hearkened unto Ephraim, and Abraham weighed to Ephraim the silver, which he had named to the audience of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver, current money with the merchant. And the field of Ephron, which was in Machpelah, which was before Mamre, the field and the cave which was therein, and all the trees that were in the field, they were in all the borders round about were made sure. Unto Abraham for a possession in the presence of the children of Heth, before all that went in at the gate of his city. And after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre, the same as Hebron in the land of Canaan. And the field and the cave that is therein were made sure unto Abraham for possession of a burying place by the sons of Heth. You may be seated. If you allow me first to look at chapter 22, the latter part, verse 20, you find a genealogy there of Abraham's, the rest of his family, his brothers. Um, and you think, well, why is this here? I need to remind you of how Genesis is segmented. If you remember, when we first began this, there was a phrase we saw repeated. These are the sons of, or these are the family of, and would name a person. And you'll find that phrase repeated throughout and giving us segments of the book of Genesis. The very first one was uh, the, the family of, of, of really the earth, and then Adam and Eve, then we see Cain and his family presented to us. But along the way, after we talked about Noah, it came to, in chapter 11, verse 27, the sons of Terah. 
the sons of Terah, which Abraham is one of his sons. And so you need to understand that all the life of Abraham is within that literary unit describing the sons of Terah. And so we're coming to a close uh, on this section in the book of Genesis. And so... Uh, to not just finish off with Abraham, he goes back to the rest of the family and talks about the, re- the, the ones that were born there. As well, verses 20 uh, all the way through, uh, through verse 24, gives us a transition, uh, a foreshadowing of Jacob and Isaac. How is that done? Well, it's given to us by giving the family of which Isaac's wife would come from. In fact, even mentioning her name and Rebekah uh, found there in verse 23. And so it is a transition uh, to what's about to happen, leaving Abraham and soon to go into Isaac and then to Jacob and the family from which their wives would come from, as well as for the audience. Remember, Moses was writing this book for the audience to let them know that on their father, the paternal side and the maternal side of Rebekah, they all came from the line of Terah. And so it was uh, information for these here. But as well, I think it's, it's good for us to keep in mind that as we're about to get into the, the end days of Abraham and Sarah, you are reminded once again from where Abraham came from, his home, his, the land that his family belonged to. Because it's going to be in stark contrast to what's about to happen here. And so uh, Abraham learns of the family of Nahor and these others that uh, were there. And then you see that it goes into the next chapter. It says, Sarah lived 127 years. It's interesting that Sarah seems to be the only woman in the Bible by which her age was given. Uh, Isn't that interesting? Uh, Guys, we can take a clue from that. We don't broadcast the the ages of women. Uh, But nonetheless, Sarah's age is given because it uh, speaks to the miracle of what God did in bringing bringing Isaac to birth. And so now she is 127, putting Abraham at 137, putting Isaac at age 37, and now they have been living 62 years in Canaan. So that is all the information of, of these, these families and their ages. And so Sarah now dies and dies in what's called Hebron, later to be called Hebron. This is kind of uh, one of the places that Abraham spent the most time in near Mamre. The, the trees of Mamre is often given to us. And so we find verse 2, Abraham mourning for Sarah as is right to do. Listen, it is right for believers to mourn for Loved ones when they die. But what I would want you to note is that though Abraham does mourn, it is mixed in with hope. Just as First Thessalonians tells us to do, that we do not grieve as without hope, but there is a hope that is given here. And I believe that uh, part of what Abraham did with Isaac in chapter 22 in offering Isaac up to God prepared him for this moment. And so he is already living for God. He loves God more than Isaac. And indeed loves God more than his own wife, Sarah. And so he is prepared for this time. And it is a step that every single one of us must go through, as we brought out last week. We can always tell with those who are least prepared for these tragedies, when they do come, it is as a shock to the very fiber of their soul. And, and when you have tragedies happen in your life, it doesn't mean it won't shock you, but you have the spiritual groundwork in place to be able to deal with it. And the groundwork is this. 
you've learned to seek God first in all of your life. And so they continue on. Abraham mourns and weeps, and this is quite quite a production in the Middle Eastern days. It includes loud weeping, tearing of clothes, sitting in the dirt, wearing sackcloth, shaving their heads. And it is a quite an elaborate uh, display of mourning. And so, verse 3, Abraham stood up from before his dead and spoke to the sons of Seth, saying, basically, I don't, I'm not a... I'm not a citizen here, I don't belong here, and I need some land to bury my dead. And from this point on, it starts talking about this process. And it's it's fascinating how it happens. But verse 4 says, I am a foreigner and a visitor among you. What I want to bring to your attention is that hope, hope determines your citizenship. Hope determines your citizenship. If you think about it, uh, you know, when you go and rent a place as opposed to buying a place, you're making a statement, aren't you? You're stating, I don't really know how long I'm going to be here. I don't have my hopes set on staying here long, and so I'm just going to rent this place. But when you purchase a place, you're making a statement that, okay, I'm going to be here for a while. Here, Abraham and Sarah have continued for all of their life living in tents, going around, and they've been in this area for 60-some years. And yet he says to them, I am a stranger and an alien among you. Why? Well, because he has not set his home in this place. What, what's he been doing for 60-some years? Hebrews explains this for a little bit. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 9 and 10, and verse 13 says this. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with them of the same promise. For he waited for the city, which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. What does it tell me? His hope was not built on, on whether or not he had a house in this place, but he longed for something else. He hoped on something else, and that determined his citizenship. Verse 13, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on this earth. And so, here he is, longing for something else. And he is as a foreigner and a visitor among them are as a stranger. First Peter chapter 2 gives us some words about that. He says that not only was Abraham a stranger and alien, we as believers in Christ also are to consider ourselves as alien and strangers in the land in which we live. That our hope is not based on the things around us, but we're looking for something else. First Peter chapter 2 verse 11 says, I beseech you as strangers and aliens among, uh, among you, to abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. In other words, don't let your heart strive for the things of this life. It rots you on the inside. You were made for something else. Your citizenship belongs elsewhere and is not defined by a territory boundary. And so that's Abraham's mindset. That's what he's looking toward. I, I, there's a, a passage or a, a story of a couple that reminds me of this. Their names are Keith and Sarah Fletcher. Uh, let me just share a little bit about, about them. She, she recalls, Sarah does, some of their life. They're, they had a dreams of settling into the work of the ministry and a lifelong work. But they, they were voted into a small church in North Carolina, unanimously voted in Keith as their pastor. Nine months later, voted him out. We were jobless, homeless, expecting our firstborn, and confused. Keith was next hired by a church in Oklahoma. And so they dug in, gave birth to their firstborn, and got to work. 
Nine months later, the church ran out of money and could no longer pay them. They were again on the street. Keith found a staff position in Indianapolis church, and this time they made it past nine months, but just barely. One day he went to work, and the pastor said, I don't think you're happy here. Maybe you'd better find another job. Though Keith had been happy, they were nonetheless dismissed. They were pregnant again, very discouraged. She, she writes, all my wonderful hopes of a settled marriage and ministry had been boxed up and crushed in riders and U-Hauls. We were ready to get out of full-time ministry and go home, except we weren't exactly sure where home was. Then one day in my Bible reading, I discovered 1 Peter 5.10, May the God of all grace, after you have suffered a while, settle you. Before the Lord settles us, I thought, He sometimes allows us to pass through periods of sufferings. That, that made sense. The Lord refines us and teaches us perseverance even more, he wants us to realize that no earthly location is our permanent address. We must instead be established and settled in Christ. Through the moves and months that followed, I clung to that promise and the fog began to clear. Four months after moving from our house in Indianapolis, it burned down, killing its new occupants. With a shudder, I began to understand God's mysterious ways. New, better doors opened, leading us eventually to our current ministry, Keith now readily admits that part of his effectiveness in developing Christian resources for nationwide use comes from having lived in a variety of places like North Carolina, Oklahoma, and Indiana. One of the lessons they've learned, and we've got to learn, is that though we have a house, though we have an abode, there's a place where our children may grow up, it is not our home. And we have to somehow, some way, create an emotional detachment so it can be emotionally reattached to Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus says, invest your treasures in heaven. Invest your treasures in heaven. Because the idea is to set your heart there. That's the place of security. And so that's been Abraham's mindset up to this point. And he says, you know, I don't even have a land to call my own. I don't have anywhere to bury my child or my wife. Now, what's fascinating about this is, is we've read Genesis 15. Remember Genesis 15, verse 18 through 21. Let me read that to you. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land. From the river of Egypt to the great river, to the river Euphrates, to the Kenites, the Kenizzites, Kadamites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephim, and a whole list of other folks. That land belongs to you. Genesis 15. And here, he, that's the promises of God. But yet, um, God, you know, I don't have anywhere to bury my, my wife. You promised this. And so he goes out and purchases a piece of property. But listen, what he was doing is he was displaying hope. You see, what were the alternatives? What were the alternatives? Well, we just read about Abraham's family. It was typically the normal practice to go back to your ancestor's land. It would have been normal practice for Abraham to go back to to the land of Ur, where his family was still residing, and, and bury Sarah there. That would have been option number one, and probably the most uh, popular option. He didn't do that. What was he saying? He says, that's no longer my land. God has given me a promise. This land is my land. I will not bury my wife back there because I have a hope that this land will someday be the land of our family and to show how serious I am about that, I am willing to pay a price 
to, to display my confidence in what God's going to do. We will stake a claim and we will bury my wife here. And you'll bury me here. And you'll find out that Jacob, in telling Joseph later on in, in Genesis chapter 49, hundreds of years later, he said, bury me back in the same cave. And Joseph, wouldn't you know it, though he was second in ruler in, in, in Egypt, he said, It'll be one day, guys, you're going to leave Egypt and you're going to go back to the land God promised to Abraham and take my body there because that's our home. That's our home. And so he is displaying faith by hope. Faith and hope go together. They go together. And so let's kind of follow along here. Knowing what's about to happen, let's see how Abraham does this now. And so you, you've got the negotiation going on, verse 5 and verse 6. He says, Hear us, my Lord, you are a mighty prince among us. That's an interesting phrase. It could also be described as you are a prince of God. That word mighty is also the word Elohim. And it could very well be saying that you are a prince of God. Nonetheless, they know that God has done miraculous things among uh, through him. And so he is high in respect. And he says, look, you know, because of that, you just bury him wherever you want. And you, you have the idea that, uh, well, you know, uh, they're going to give something to him. It seems to be, as you read this, uh, that uh, certainly it's repeated throughout that they are to give. And uh, he says, well, you know what? Verse 8, if it, if it is your wish that I buried dead at my sight, then this is the place I want to go to. This specific cave, this specific person who owns this, and I just want the cave. But give it to me at full price. What would have been the other alternative? Option number two. Borrow someone's tomb. <laughs> How do you do that anyway? How do you borrow the tomb? I'll be sure to give it back to you. Uh, you know, but that's option number two. They're going to loan out. It's much more practical. It's, you know, no cost involved. The problem is, there's no faith in that. There's no hope. There's no statement that Abraham is making that he believes that God is going to one day give this land to him by loaning out a cave or having a cave loaned out to him. And so he says, no, give it to me at the full price. Let it be no question as to who owns this land. And so what you'll see here is the details that make this transaction legal, public. You'll notice uh, that it's done at the gate of the city in verse 10. Uh, that is the place where transactions like this would take place. It is done, uh, verse 11, in the presence of the sons of my people. Uh, and so there is the public aspect of it. There are many witnesses. All these facts are giving out, verse 12. Uh, he spoke to Ephraim in the hearing of the people of the land. Uh, you see this again repeated throughout, uh, that this is done. Verse 15, 400 shekels of silver is given the, the, the price. Uh, then verse 16, he weighed out the silver which he named for 400 shekels of silver, currency of the merchants. In other words, it is totally legal. There's no question as to who this cave belongs to. Now, what's the point? Here's, here's one practical aspect of this. How he spent his money demonstrated his hope. How he spent his money demonstrated his hope. So let me ask you the question that's begged to be asked. How do you spend your money and what hope does it point to? What hope does it point to? John Piper in his book, Don't Waste Your Life, brings out a beautiful aspect that we are to have a wartime mentality in regards to our money. 
to understand that we are at war and therefore there are certain sacrifices that we make so that the gospel can go out. And we have that wartime mentality. It's not that we, we don't buy what we need. It's just that we understand that there's a greater cause that's at stake. And so it's not just a greater cause, there's a greater hope given here in Abraham. He says, you know what? I'm going to put my money where my hope is to let people know that this is true. I was talking with um, Wayne and Jennifer. They, they have Their lifestyle has just been a beautiful example of some of what I've been reading uh, this this past week in this passage. And I was talking to them, and, and they, I was thinking, you know, y'all are just blessed that you don't have a lot of major things that you have to sell. They don't have to sell a house. Uh, they only had to sell one car, and the other car was leased. And he said, you know, when we got here, uh, we decided to lease the car, and it was a tough question. The, the salesperson was asking me, should I buy the car, or should I lease the car? And they're asking, well, what's your plans? I said, well, you know, they were going back and forth. thinking, you know, we don't know how long we're going to be here at Green Pines, but in our heart we feel that we will be back on the mission field. We, we feel that in our, in our life and our call. And, and they were just going back and forth. And finally the salesperson said, you know what? You just need to lease the car. You obviously don't know what you're doing. <laughs> so we're just going to lease the car to you. And there it was, this lease. And now this past week they have sold off all of their possessions uh, in a yard sale. Uh, I guess all of it was was bought up, and and uh, and here they are thinking, you know, we just got some stuff in our suitcases, and we're ready to go. I thought, you know what? That just demonstrates their hope, their hope. Sometimes when you answer a question, you're answering more than the question asked. For Wayne, are you going to buy a car or lease a car? For Abraham, are you going to go back to Ur? Are you going to have a cave loaned out? Or are you going to buy a cave? But the deeper question was this, what is my hope? So let me ask you, does your financial life reflect a hope in the eternal? A hope in the eternal. Now, as we keep on reading, we go down to verse 17, verse 18. It says, the land was deeded to him. But notice, it wasn't just a cave. Ephraim insisted that there was to be a field with this cave, in verse 17. That was critical, because just having a cave meant that he had no obligation to any of the rulers at that time. But having a field with it meant that there was now some obligation to the rulers. And so Ephraim was trying to get Abraham to make some commitments to a place. What he had no idea of knowing is that Abraham had no problem with committing to this place. He says, sure, I'll commit to this place because one day our family will be the rulers. And so we can do this. And he had his hopes set on that. And verse 19, it's been a wonderful, wonderful time just to stop the chapter. It says, after this, Abraham buried Sarah's wife in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And you think, well, that's, you know, makes sense to end the chapter. But it goes on after that. But one thing you need to notice is that that is before or toward Mamre. Remember, that was the place of worship for Abraham. He set up his altar there. Uh, to worship God. But verse 20, so the field and the cave that is in it became deeded or became part of Abraham's land. Here's a wonderful other truth here. Grave, the grave became a place of hope for the believer of God's promises. The grave became the place of hope for the believer of God's promises. Can you imagine 
Isaac asking Abraham, Abraham, why, why, daddy, why are you buying this? He says, because one day, son, God's going to have our family in this land. This land is our land. And every time we pass by this cave, it reminds us of that fact. It is a reminder of hope. And friends, when Jesus Christ died on the cross and was placed into another cave, he came up out of that cave and the cave, the grave became radically transformed where it used to be a place of despair, a place of ending, a place of mourning. Now it becomes a place of resurrection and a place of hope. And so for every believer, the grave still becomes a reminder of hope. But you know, there's one more powerful truth I want to bring out of this about hope. First of all, we've talked about how he spent his money, demonstrated hope. The grave became the place of hope. And then, it is enough. Listen, it is enough for the believer to die with hope. It is enough for the believer to die with hope. What am I bringing out here? Well, it's just a little bit later, Abraham dies. And when he dies, all that's to his name is a cave. And the land that surrounds it in which he will be buried, and his wife will be buried, his sons will be buried. But he died with more than that. He died with hope. Hope that beyond his life, God would do what he said he would do. You think, well, that's kind of depressing. It's only depressing if you think that life ends at death. But as Jesus pointed out, Abraham was still alive. He said, he said, you know, God always said that God is the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He never was the father, but is the father. And what Jesus was bringing out is that Abraham is still alive. And Abraham, though he died physically on this earth with just hope, it was enough because he Live spiritually to see the realization of what God had promised. Some of you here have promises of God. Every one of you actually have promises of God. And you're thinking, you know what? I don't see how it's going to happen. I don't have any way of figuring out how it's going to happen. And some of you may be coming to the end of your life. Some of you are coming to the end of your life and you don't even know it. And all you have is a hope of what life could be. Of what God said he could do and would do. And we will die not realizing in our lifetime all that God said would happen. But it is enough. You remember what hope is? Hope is faith. It is faith applied to the future. What is it based on? It's not wishful thinking. It is based on the characters of God, the characteristics of God. And so, whereas if I'm trying to change my waist size, it's because I'm hoping in something of my determination. But when I'm hoping about eternal life, and that if I'm going to die, and that I'm going to be with the pre- in the presence of God, that is based on the promise of God, and that He never fails. Great is his faithfulness. What he says he will do. And every single one of us must die, if we are believers, with hope. But praise God, it is enough.
Because hope does not leave us unashamed. It is not based on my ability to hope. It is not based on my strength to hope. It is not based on my faith to hope. But it is based on a great Savior who perseveres throughout history. So we read this chapter, two verses, Sarah died. 18 verses, he buys land for a funeral. What's the point? You keep on reading, you think 19 is a great way to end, but instead you have verse 20, which reiterates again that this grave was the property of Abraham. Why was that given? Because Abraham was stating by the very last few acts of his life, there is a God, he has made a promise, he has given me a child on Isaac who will become a great nation, and I believe that one day this land will belong to us, and as he promised in Genesis chapter 12, that in our line will come someone who will be a blessing to all the nations, and he demonstrates it by handing out 400 shekels to buy a piece of property. So, Let me ask you, how do you spend your money? Does it demonstrate hope? Do you understand that the grave has become a place of hope for the believer of God's promises? And you need to know it is enough for the believer to die with hope. So let me ask you, what's your hope in? Where do you declare your loyalties? Are you a citizen of a heavenly kingdom? Or do you make your treasure here on this earth? That's what tells us where you belong. So I just want to end by simply saying what Jesus said. Don't invest your treasures on this earth. But invest your treasures in heaven. Where moths and rust cannot corrupt or destroy. And thieves cannot break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's pray. Father, we do live in a world where our hopes can be boxed up and crushed in new halls and riders. We live in a world where our hopes can be corrupted and destroyed, where thieves can break in and steal our hope away. We live in a world where our hope can die with the loved ones who die with it. We live in a land, in a place where hope can be burned down as our house burns down. We live in a land where hope can somehow slowly diminish and deteriorate as the stock markets plunge. We live in a land where hope can just disappear as our housing prices Go down. Lord, this is no surprise to you. And you call us, you urge us by the example of Abraham to set our eyes, our heart, our hope on you. Father, I thank you that you are worthy to set our hope upon. It is not wishful thinking when we hope upon you, but it is a certainty of the future based on the promises of who you are. God, help us to understand what it means to flesh that out in our life. Lord, that our investments materially, 
reflect a greater hope of living for you. To understand that one day this world will go away. The lust and the flesh thereof. But the man who does the will of God will endure forever. So Lord, I pray that we would be as men and women who would follow your will. Who would have a heart set on you. That even when the worst this world throws at us and the death of ourselves or death of loved ones, though we grieve, our hope is still solid. We pray this in your name. Amen. Here's what I want to invite you to do. Simply is...